Last Wednesday, we, we gathered, a lot of us gathered at the Mustang Bowl for this event called Fields of Faith. Um, and most of you know what Fields of Faith is, but uh, students from all over the region, you know, we had uh, Sweetwater and Roby and Highland and Rotan and Roscoe and Colorado City and Snyder and who knows who all gathered and uh, uh, thousands of students, millions of students, thousands of, a thousand students, at least hundreds. Uh, it was a lot of students um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and then tons of adults that came to gather to be encouragers and greeters and all kinds of other things just to help, um, help uh, create an environment uh, where these students can hear God's word and respond to it. And I got to admit, uh, you know, I've done, I've been here for Fields of Faith, every, you know, for several years and, and uh, I kind of went into it with, without the best attitude. Um, I, you know, it, it, all of our, our Sweetwater like teachers and administration know that the, the Mustang Bowl, it's hard to contain uh, students uh, at the Mustang Bowl. It's, uh, and they go everywhere, and, and I'm kind of controlling. Uh, you probably never noticed that, but, but um, I'm, these kids need to sit down and get off my lawn and pay attention, you know, and, and, uh, and so... Uh, I was like, oh, it's going it's to be a late night and all this. And so I go and, and I said, Lord, just help me relinquish control. There's 20% of the kids that are just going all over the place. But I was looking around and 80%, man, they're tuned in and they're listening and they're hearing God's word. And as we went down to the field afterward for a time of response and saw all of these students, really people of all ages come down to respond. I mean, it was a really, it was an authentic moment. It was a beautiful moment and, and God's spirit was moving. And I had the privilege to uh, to to meet with a couple of young ladies who each of them had given their lives to Christ. And uh, praying with them was just such an honor, was just such a privilege. Um, and, and was such a reminder, like, of the joy of following Christ. And, like, we get to share the gospel with people. We get to, uh, to, to share this message with each other and bear each other's burdens. And, and I looked over and saw Rebecca and David, and they had, like, a dozen kids around them they're, they're, they're sharing with. I look over and see uh, Bill Stein down on, on, on his, uh, uh, you know, down on his knees, and he's praying with an entire family, mom and dad and kids. And, and I see Caleb Stuber and Gabriel from TSTC, and they're, and they're leading people to Christ. And I see all these, uh, I mean, too many to name, so many of my Trinity family just out there killing it, just out there sharing the gospel, just out there praying and, and leading kids to Christ and, 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 and leading really uh, people of all ages to Christ. And, and since the book of Acts, since the book of Acts, um, the primary witness of the church has been ordinary Average Christians sharing Christ at their workplace, sharing Christ uh, in their neighborhood, uh, sharing the gospel uh, with those in their circle of influence. Um, what I do here matters. I, I believe it matters. Um, but, but even Paul called what I do, he called, he called preaching foolishness. There's something foolish about standing up in front of people and, and, saying, and, and teaching God's word and thinking somehow God's going to use it. But he does. God does use it. He does save through that. And he, and he redirects through that. And he pierces people's hearts through that. But, but primarily, my job is to coach you and to equip you so that, so that we all go out and in the course of our lives, we share the love of Christ and the word of God and word and deed with others. And so uh, we've got a lot of coaches uh, here in our, in our church family. Um, I think about Coach Bauckham, you know, if Coach Bauckham, uh, if there was a, uh, just think about the role of a coach, you know, if he was coaching a basketball game and, and he benched one of his players and he got out there and started just dunking on all the high school kids and sinking threes left and right, like that would be really cool to watch, wouldn't it? 
But there would be a meeting afterward. Um, there would be a meeting, and hey, that's not your job. You know, coach, your job isn't to score all the points. Your job isn't to have all the fun. Your job is to equip other people to get in the game. My job is to equip others uh, to get in the game. Uh, my job is to equip others to get out there on the field um, and, and in real life, in everyday life, share um, the word of God, the love of God, with others. And so whether the gospel message is going to advance or retreat in this generation, whether we're going to see uh, light or darkness win in this generation, uh, really depends on the willingness of everyday believers to share God's word, to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel with those in their circles. Um, whether the gospel is going to advance or return in this, in this generation depends on ordinary Christians sharing the gospel with their neighbors, their friends, at school, at work. Um, and that's always how God has worked. A recent stir, a survey showed that 80% of Christians believe that it's our responsibility to share the gospel with others. 80% believe that. But 61% had not done so in the past six months. 48% had not invited anybody to church in the last six months. I'm not saying that to shame you. Like, but the reality is we know, most of us know, we're not confused that there's a calling and a responsibility to share the gospel. But for some reason, most of us are not doing it. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, it's not an exhaustive list, but one of those reasons may just be fear. Um, it's, it's scary, isn't it, to have a conversation with, hey, where are you with the Lord? Uh, you know, if you, it, really, if I ever want to end a conversation with somebody, um, I'll say, hey, I'm a pastor. And they're like, Pshoom! you know, it's, it's a really, so if you're ever in a conversation you ever want to get out of, just be like, well, you know, uh, I am a pastor. And I mean, somebody, they're just going to see like a cloud of dust, like I'm out, you know. Um, uh, and, and it feels like a conversation killer, you know, if you're like, well, I was reading in the Bible the other day and you're just like, people, where'd everybody go, you know? But, but so there's fear. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, there's also an element of apathy, uh, maybe apathy. Uh, you know, in, in, our, in our generation, there's come to be uh, maybe a, we don't really have a firm handle that lostness is a real thing. And that everybody spends eternity somewhere. And so there's some apathy that can come in that prevents us from sharing the gospel. There's also maybe a, 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 a lack of empathy. And that, you know, in our social media world, you can just witness all over the place just a very low level of empathy. But this plays out with uh, evangelism as well. Like if I saw, um, you know, if I saw uh, uh, Kelsey, she was about to grab a hot electrical wire. I would say, if I have empathy, okay, Ryan, maybe you wouldn't say something, but he's like, you're like, ha, ha, ha. But, uh, uh, but if, if I saw Kelsey, she was about to grab a hot electrical wire, I'd be like, no, don't stop, because there's empathy. Empathy compels us, compassion compels us uh, to want to help others avoid destruction, right? And so, but a lack of empathy really plays into our lack of sharing the gospel and a lack of understanding. Maybe we just for all the hundreds of times maybe we've heard the gospel, maybe we just kind of have, maybe we lack clarity on what the gospel is. And so, um, you know, if, if, if our issue is a lack of, if, if our issue is apathy or, or a lack of empathy, those demons really only come out through prayer and fasting. And so I encourage you to, you know, pray and fast and get with your community. Hey, help me with this. Confess that. But if it's a, a matter of fear or if it's a matter of a lack of understanding, I think we can walk out of here today 
uh, with a greater understanding and with some, with some tools that can help us. Okay, So today, my desire for us is that we gain clarity on what the gospel is and how can I have gospel conversations with others. And so uh, when, when Paul is opening up the letter to the Romans, back in Romans 1, verse 16, remember we came across this theme verse that we've, re- we've reached back to almost every week. It's a theme that governs the whole letter. In Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? And that word gospel is this royal announcement. It means good news. And gospel is fundamentally this message that Jesus Christ has lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to live, we deserve to die, overcame death and sin through his resurrection, and he rules and reigns now as, as the ruler of the, of the universe. He wants a relationship with you. That's good news, okay? Um, and Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. And so our, our word today is salvation. Salvation, or, or the verb form saved, is a really dominant idea here in Romans chapter 10. And Paul told us at the beginning of the letter that the gospel, good news about Jesus, is God's power to save. So when we talk about saved, when we talk about salvation, what does that mean? I think salvation is one of those words that we've used so much in the church that maybe we forget like what that word is even means. Um, and, and, and fundamentally, the word salvation means rescue. Uh, it's the Greek word sozo, which is a fun word to say, sozo. And it, it, to, it means to rescue, save, deliver, heal, restore. And this fundamental idea of salvation or to be saved means to be rescued. Um, And what I'd like us to hear today and see today is rescued people want to see other people get rescued. Rescued people want to see others rescued. So when we think about rescue, think about Israel and they're enslaved in Egypt all those years ago. And Pharaoh was, you know, was enslaving them and God delivers them. He rescues them. He doesn't say, hey, here's a few tips about how to live as slaves a little better. He rescues them from slavery. He delivers them out of that. And that, what Paul's been tracking us through in in, in the letter to the Romans, is that God wants to deliver us from, rescue us from sin. And so salvation has a past, present, and a future dimension to it. It's kind of this big idea, overarching word that, that refers to something in our past, our present, and our future. And the past, present, and future dimensions of salvation, those correspond with some big theological words that we've come across in Romans. And so Paul's used the word justification a lot in Romans. Justification, remember, if you're a Christian, justification is that past idea of salvation. It's that moment when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and God declared you to be in the right with him. God declared you to no longer be dead but alive. God declared you to become part of his family, the family that he's always been at work uh, creating. That's justification. That's when you're delivered from the penalty of sin. There's no condemnation because Jesus has taken that condemnation for you. The present dimension of salvation is that big word, sanctification. 
And that's the word that we came across at the end of Romans 6 and the ideas all the way through Romans 7 and 8. Sanctification is that ongoing process of putting off the old and putting on the new and learning to live in the, in the power of God's Spirit and no longer living as a slave to sin, but living instead as a slave to Jesus Christ. And, and that um, future idea of salvation is the word glorification. And that's when we'll, we'll be saved, not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. One day you're going to see Jesus face to face and you will be glorified and sin uh, and its very presence will lose all hold on you. So salvation is this big overarching word, past, present, and future idea. And that's a key word here in Romans 10. As we dive into Romans 10, keep in mind, Paul's still having the same conversation we began last week in Romans 9. He's still talking about God's sovereign mercy. But we're in Romans 9, Paul emphasizes Israel's past. In Romans 10, he's going to emphasize more Israel's present. In Romans 9, Paul emphasized God's sovereign mercy. In Romans 10, Paul is emphasizing human freedom, that we have to choose whether or not we follow Christ or not. He says, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So with that background, let's dive into Romans 10. Rescued people want to see other people rescued. Romans 10, verse 1. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Or literally what he says is my heart's desire for them, my prayer for them is into salvation or unto salvation. He's still talking about his brothers and his uh, family, his, his race. He's talking about his fellow Israelites. He, he began in chapter 9 saying, I'm grieved that, that, that most of my people have rejected Christ. Now he says, my prayer, my earnest desire is that they may come unto salvation or that they may be saved, that they may be rescued. That's the attitude of a rescued person is that I want to see other people rescued. Paul is like a man that was rescued from a burning building. All right, he was just on his way, doing his thing, uh, going to Damascus, and uh, he was going to round up some Christians and throw them in jail, and, and he was uh, a prisoner, really, to hate and to, and to pride and to religion, and through no goodness and through no act of deserving, but strictly through God's mercy, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he's forever changed. He was rescued from that burning building of sin and pride and arrogance, and now he wants to rescue as many others out of that building as he can. It's like if the fire department busted into your apartment complex and rescues you, you want to go back in and save your parakeet, or you want to go back in and save your, your neighbor, you want to go back in and save uh, your friends and your family. If you've been rescued, you want to be a part of rescuing other people, and that's where Paul's coming from. My prayer, my heart, my desire is that they be saved. God's mercy has transformed Paul. And he says this in verse 2, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish throne, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So, God, so Paul says, my people are zealous, but they're ignorant. Now this really flies in the face of accepted ideology today, because Paul's saying that his people's sincerity, his people's sincerity is not sufficient to save them. But today, we kind of think, you know, if you're sincere about what you believe, I mean, God's going God's gonna to honor that. I mean, God just wants you to be sincere. But, you know, it's possible to be sincerely wrong, isn't it? 
And Paul was sincerely wrong before he came to Christ. It's like we're, we're doing soccer as a family right now. All ages are doing soccer. And, 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 and with that youngest age group especially, towards the beginning of the season, there's always that moment where you know, little Johnny gets the ball or little Ethan or whoever, he gets the ball and, and he gets possession of the ball and he's just dribbling it with all his might. And everybody's like really excited. And he, he kicks the ball and he shoots and he scores. And then everybody realizes what? Wrong goal. He was sincere. Man, he gave it all he had. But he was wrong. He was awarded no points. The other team actually got the point. It's possible to be sincerely wrong. And sincerity is not sufficient to save anyone. He says in verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law. And that's a, uh, that what he means by that is a matter of debate, but some say that that means that Okay, we can just throw up the old, you kind of tear up the Old Testament, tear up the law, set it aside. God kind of is done with that plan. He started something totally new in Christ. But really that word end is this Greek word telos, which means the goal, the fulfillment. What Paul is saying here, I believe, is that Christ is what the law and the prophets pointed to all along. He's, he's the goal. He's the destination. And we understand him as we look to the gospel roots back here in the Old Testament. So rescued people want to see other people rescued. Next, salvation means you're rescued from something. Salvation means you're rescued from something. And so for us today, like if we're healthy and if we've got money in the bank um, and if, we've, if, if, if things are going our way, we may not really feel like, and a lot of your friends or the, maybe the person that you're one that you're praying for, maybe, this, maybe we just are insulated and we really don't sense that we need rescue. And so somebody might ask you, well, what do I need rescue from? What do I need salvation from? Man, I'm killing it at life. And if, as we kind of trace what the scripture says, one really important place to go is Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where the angel says that Jesus' name means, Jesus' name means God saves. He says you're going to call him Jesus for he will save his people from what? Remember, from their sin, from their sin. The thing that we need rescue from fundamentally is our sin. And Paul has defined sin in Romans 1, not as a list of do's and don'ts, but as an attitude of the heart that says, uh, I've rejected God and I am making my own rules for myself. It's exchanging God's truth for a lie, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Sin is a worship problem. And this happens anytime I put myself on the throne of my life. And that may be sexual brokenness, that may look like bad religion, that may look like gossip. Who knows how it manifests, but it's a heart condition of being far from God. And Jesus has come to rescue you, rescue me from our sin. Romans 5, 9, after that beautiful Romans 5, 8 passage that says, you know, God did what we couldn't do. While we were sinners, he demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, the very next verse, we read that, that, uh, that Jesus rescues us, saves us from God's wrath. We need rescue from our sin. We also needed rescue from God's wrath, which is a real thing. And that's God's righteous response to sin. Wrath is not a a bad word. Remember, wrath is good news. God's wrath means that he's not okay with sin. He's not okay with what destroys you and destroys this world. And he's committed to setting this world right. And that's what his wrath is about. It's about setting this world right. 
But if we are apart from Christ, we're under God's wrath. If we're in Christ, we're saved from God's wrath. We need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from God's wrath. Uh, And we need to be saved from empty and futile ways of living. Paul, in in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, describes what life is like apart from Christ. And this can describe uh, somebody that's really well-meaning and diligent and working really hard, but but apart from Christ, this is what our hearts look like. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. When he says Gentiles, he's talking about people that don't know the Lord. In the futility of their minds, futility is emptiness. Futility is this, I'm doing the same things over and over again and expecting the same results. Anybody ever fall into futile ways of living? Doing the same things over and over again? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Paul is diagnosing here very vividly. This is what the human heart looks like apart from Christ. It's darkened in its understanding. It's callous. It's ignorant. It's hard. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We need salvation, rescue from that. And a really good um, example of this um, I want to share with you. I'm going to quote Justin Bieber to you. Um, I mean, I'm a believer, right? And so, um, bad. Um, But um, I'm not really. But uh, Justin Bieber became famous at a really young age. And he's this example of somebody that like, most of us would say, I would trade places with Justin Bieber anytime. That guy's got everything. He's got money. He's got fame. He's got it all. I bet that guy's like the happiest person on the planet, right? He made this Instagram post a while back, and he really, what he does is he just really, and I'm sorry you can't see it, but I'm going to read it to you. Um, he really just unpacks that cycle of futility that Paul just described in Ephesians 4. Bieber says, he says, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning with the right attitude when you are overwhelmed with your life, your past, your job, responsibilities, emotions, your family, finances, your relationships. When it feels like there's trouble after trouble after trouble, you start foreseeing the day through a lens of dread and anticipate another bad day, a cycle of feeling disappointment after disappointment. Sometimes it can even get to the point where you don't even want to live anymore where you feel like it's never going to change. I can fully sympathize with you. I could not change my mindset. Hello, do we hear that? Here's one of the most famous people, really wealthy guy, and he says, I could not change my own mindset. I am fortunate to have people in my life that continue to encourage me to keep going. You see, I have a lot of money. I'm still quoting Bieber here in case you get confused. This is I have... (laughs) I have a lot of money, clothes, cars, accolades, achievements, awards. I was still unfulfilled. Have you noticed the statistics of child stars and the outcome of their life? There's an insane pressure and responsibility put on a child whose brain, emotions, frontal lobes are not developed yet. No rationality, defiant, rebellious, things all of us have to go through. But when you add the pressure of stardom, it does something to you that's quite unexplainable. I didn't grow up in a stable home. My parents were 18, separated, no money, still young, rebellious as well. He said, I became ultra successful and it happened within a span of two years. My whole world was flipped on its head. I went from a 13-year-old boy from a small town to being praised left and right by the world with millions saying how much they loved me and how great I was. That sounds like a dream come true, right? 
And yet it left this young man feeling nothing but pressure and powerlessness and depression. His whole post is worth reading, but I'm going to skip down. He said, I started doing pretty heavy drugs at 19, abused all of my relationships. I became resentful, disrespectful to women, angry. I became distant to everyone who loved me. I was hiding behind a shell of of a person I'd become. I felt like I could never turn it around. That's futility. It's taken me years to bounce back from these terrible decisions, to fix broken relationships, change relationship habits. Luckily, God blessed me with extraordinary people who love me. Now I'm navigating the best season of my life, marriage, which is an amazing, crazy new responsibility. You learn patience, trust, commitment, kindness, humility, and all of things it looks like to be a good man. All this to say, even when the odds are against you, keep fighting. Jesus loves you. Be kind today. Be bold today. Love people today, not by your standard, not by our standards, but by God's perfect and unfailing love. That'll preach. I don't know where Justin's going to be next week. I don't know where any of us are going to be next week in our walk with Christ. But I know in a moment of clarity, he saw through the merry-go-round of futility and said all the money, all the stardom, all the stuff in the world, all the stuff that we pursue does not satisfy. We need rescue. Salvation means you're rescued from something. Sin, wrath, futility. How does that happen? Let's read beginning in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. But righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down, who will descend into the abyss as to bring Christ up. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Now, Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 30. He's quoting this passage where, where uh, Moses has said, you, you guys are going to mess up. God's going to scatter you because uh, he's going to judge you, but ultimately God's going to restore you. And the person God sent to restore Israel, Paul's telling us, is Jesus Christ. But when they got what they prayed for, they rejected him. Do people still do this? We pray for something to happen, and then when that thing happens, we reject what God did. So Jesus was rejected. And, 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 uh, and Paul goes on to quote Deuteronomy, says that word of faith that we proclaim, verse 8. Now this term, word of faith, has kind of gotten twisted around to mean I can say whatever word in faith and, and God's going to do that. And, and man, man, there are definitely a, a place for that where, where, where we pray specifically for something in faith and, and we see God come through. But baseline what Paul is saying here, the word of faith is the word of the faith confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's what he, he unpacks in the next verse. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, religion says, climb up to heaven. Work your way up. Paul says, quoting Moses, applying it to Jesus, he says, you don't have to climb up to heaven. You don't have to go down to hell because there's somebody that's done that on your behalf already. Jesus has already descended to the deepest depths and he's he's ascended to the highest heights and he's done it all so that all you have to do is trust him. Cry out to him. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be rescued from sin, from wrath, from futility. And, and this message is, 
very inclusive. The, the, the Christian message is, the gospel is so inclusive, it's for everybody that'll believe, but it's very exclusive because there's only one name under heaven by which we may be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody's welcome, but there's one door. I saw most of you coming in that door at the back today. Nobody was sticking your head in the window trying to worm your way in through the window. You were fine with the fact that that's the door. You didn't say, well, if I designed this building, I would have put 20 doors in. No, you came in the door. Jesus is the door. There was a, there was, once there was no door, there was no way in. We were excluded. And God made a way where there was no way. And then we say, well, I don't know if that's the only way. It's the only way. Not because God's trying to cheat you, but because God's good. He provided a way where there was no way. And Paul says there's something that as we hear God's word, somehow mysteriously as we hear God's word, a switch, God flips a switch in us and faith comes alive in us. And, and maybe on the first time we hear the gospel, maybe the 10,000th time we hear the gospel, faith is awakened and we say, Jesus, save me, rescue me. And that's exactly what he does in life changes there's counterfeit gospels out there and we need to be able to distinguish counterfeit versus truth so i want to name four counterfeit gospels and there's others but one counterfeit gospel is the buffet gospel and it's like you know i'm going to get a little bit of uh, new age thinking i'm going to get a little of uh, materialism i'm going to get a little cultural christianity i'm going to drizzle a little jesus on top of all this it's not the gospel I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really worship politics, but I'm going to drizzle a little Jesus on top. No, that's not the gospel. Another false gospel out there is be a good person. And that sounds really inclusive, doesn't it? I just be a good person. Who does that message exclude? Bad people? <laughs> this guy? If I, if I grasp, if I wrestle with Romans 1 through 3, my problem is sin and sin is idolatry. It's this heart disposition that's opposed to God. I'm excluded from the gospel of be a good person. And if you're preaching the gospel of be a good person to your child, what happens when your child isn't good? What happens when your child bullies somebody at school? The only thing you can tell them then is try harder to be good. And that is bad news, not good news. Where the, if the gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord, what you can say is your weakness and your sin is being exposed. Let's together go to Christ and cry out to him that he might help you. That's the gospel. Not try harder to be good. The gospel of sin management that Dallas Willard talked about where we're just saying, I'm just going to try to not sin as bad as will. And if I can just manage my sin, <laughs> man, how much freedom is in that? And then there's the gospel of just be happy. And, and, and the, the, the difficulty with this is God does want you to be happy. But what we do with this one is, hey, you do you, man. If, uh, if this makes you happy, just do it. Hey, don't listen to any God or church or book that tells you not to be happy. And so we just, we're doing that. We've bought that gospel. And nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. And yet there is a God in heaven who's come in flesh and blood to us and he wants to reveal to you the path of life. And he says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. And if we chase happiness, we're not going to find it. If we, if we chase Jesus, we're going to find Jesus and we're going to find happiness all rolled into one.
So rescued people want to see others rescued. Last thing, salvation means you're rescued from something. Salvation means you're rescued for something. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Salvation means you're saved from sin. It means you're saved for God's mission. You're saved for something. And the future of the world depends on average, normal, everyday Christians sharing the true gospel with those in their circle. Your job is to share. God's job is to save. And so that doesn't mean you've got to close the deal in one conversation. Your job's to share. There may be a friend that you're working with and you're asking questions and where are you with the Lord? How can I pray for you? Uh, maybe this person's been hurt by church and you ask questions. You have dialogue. You, you may not close the deal. You're not a vacuum cleaner salesman. You, you may not say, uh, close the deal. In, you, may, you may close the deal like in a one-minute uh, talk in, in, in line at the grocery store. But it may take years. The point is your job is to share. God's job is to save. Paul tells us here that saving faith is just awakened by God's word. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Put yourself in a position where you will hear God's word. And God will continue to awaken faith. Saving faith is awakened by God's word. And saving faith hungers for God's word more and more and more. Find ways to share God's word with your one. I, hey, I thought of the scripture. Richard Faust does an amazing job with it. Hey, I was thinking about you today. I, I wanted to share the scripture with you. Such an encouraging uh, way to minister to others. So uh, uh, the band can come up. Um, I'm wrapping up. You're about to get rescued. <laughs> but I was uh, coming out of Faith Fitness the other day, uh, early one morning, had my workout in, and walking out and a, and a man and a family drove up and he and he said i'm trying to get to lawton oklahoma I said, why you know i just said okay <laughs> cool um you know what i didn't tell him i didn't say just follow your heart man just drive bro you do you that would be terrible advice wouldn't it that would not have been kind advice that would not have been compassionate. That would have been easy advice for me to give. It would not have been kind or helpful to him. Why would that be the advice we would give anybody about their life? So you know what? And we didn't even speak the same language, okay? And so we appealed. I said, I don't know how to get to Lawton, Oklahoma. So we appealed to a higher authority. What authority did we appeal to? Google. And he said, I don't know about this Google. I said... Man, here was a time in my life when Google really bailed me out. <laughs> and then I showed him the way. There's an actual place, actual coordinates, actual latitude and longitude called Lawton, Oklahoma, and you don't get there accidentally. And so we pull it up on Google, the authority we both came to trust in. And he didn't say, nah, I'm going to go the opposite way. He could have said that, and, and my, I couldn't have done anything about that. 
He might have driven away, thrown his phone out the window and said, I'm just going to do me. Fine, I shared, okay? You encounter lost people all the time. And you appeal to God's word as your authority. And they may say, oh, God's word, no. You say, hey, here's how God's been faithful to me. That's all I can tell you. I, I put my life in his hands and he's been good to me. And then they either accept that or reject it. Your job is to share. God's job is to say. But the worst advice we can give anybody is just go wander around until you find eternal life by your own devices. So where are you at? As, as we sing, as we have this time of invitation, has there been a moment in time, a point in your life when you said, man, I just where faith has been awakened in you and you cried out to God to save you. You said, I'm trusting Jesus. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. I want to follow Jesus.